Welcome to No Challenges for Me. <laughs> We've had a technical snafu, and am, Ben's not happy with me right now. I'm, I'm not thrilled, but it's I'm Ben Rothenberg. She's Courtney Nguyen. We are doing our second take of this podcast after doing, a, honestly, a pretty good half hour before <laughs> on the show, which is now lost, and we'll get back to it. We did talk about the men's straw, and so, Courtney, good idea to refresh and just not completely retread our steps right away and revisit the agony and whatever good Dennis Kubler jokes may or may not get to happen again next time. Uh, let's start with the women. <laughs> Ash Barty, <laughs> new number one, which was in my favorite moment of yesterday, complete news to Serena Williams that Ash Barty is number one. She had legitimately no idea that Ash Barty was number one, but it was a pleasant surprise. <laughs> she was happy when she, to hear it. She's like, oh, wow, great. <laughs> it was a moment. It was I a think moment. everybody in that room was surprised by everything that was happening <laughs> in that moment, but it's, under, it's also pretty understandable. I mean, she kind of operates in her own on her own plane and doing her own thing. She's been very busy, obviously, um, and and didn't get the telegram, but it, but that's okay. Um, but uh, but yes, she was very complimentary of Ash once she realized that Ash was number one and number one seed here at Wimbledon. So yeah, she was. She was like, I almost want to say like loopy, but she just seemed like a little goofy, just like a little, just sort of in a particular mood. She was seemed having happy and having fun, just a little, little goofy yesterday. Uh, but Ash Barty. Uh, Never really would call it goofy. As a very, very businesslike, uh, she's uh, she would tell you that we're playing Sasai Zheng first, Zheng Sasai, we are. and uh, yeah, and so she's up there. And in what is we should say to start the loaded quarter, the the story of the draw is how loaded this women's top quarter is. All the group of death. Group of death, absolutely. Everyone, I mean, honestly, plausibly, a very plausible like top three favorites are all in it, which is Serena Barty and. Kerber. Yeah, and it was funny because today I was flipping some some stories off of the obviously the media day press conferences, and as I was going through, I was like, oh, actually, only one of the players that spoke yesterday from the women plays on Tuesday, or I'm sorry, on Monday. Mm-hmm. All of the rest of them play on Tuesday, which is when this group of death plays. Um, everyone's in the top half, not even just of the group of death, but you also have Kiki Burton's in the top half of the draw, Kanta, uh, Kanta uh, Petra Kvitova, so Maria Sharapova's in this top half. So there's a lot going on, and really the only player that did, you know, main room media press that's in the bottom half of the draw is Naomi Osaka. Who really enjoys museums because you get to go back in time without the hardships. I loved that line so much. It was wild. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I had a great time. She had a great press conference. She had a really good press conference. She's in a good mood. Um, she's bantery. Uh, it's good. Relaxed. I mean, to be fair, she was also in a good mood ahead of the French Open. She gave that great press conference that was like, I mean, so unbelievably quotable. Yeah. Um, this one was a lot more just like normal. It just felt like a normal press conference for her, which I think she she enjoyed uh you know the heaviness and kind of the stress and the buzz you know maybe wasn't surrounding this one as much as as the one uh, at the french open uh and that's probably a good thing for her but um you know expectations are very very tempered for osaka here but uh, expectations not so tempered for miss ash barty who uh, i was reading through espn's picks um they had like a panel of like 10 people like putting their picks and every single one of them picked either ash barty or serena williams to win the title which arguable that those are the only two kind of favorites across 10, but definitely two of the big favorites. Oh, so it's not my pick if we're getting, well, I don't know. I'm going to make picks later, but it's not my pick. Um, so, but anyway, Ash Barty, it's a very plausible pick. Yeah, she's, 
gotten to number one uh, very quickly. She spent fewer weeks in the top ten than any other number one -er before her sentence number one. It's an interesting sort of stat. And, you know, she'd been a name we'd known, but for, for just, like, human interest kind of reasons, largely. And she was actually a little bit similar to Osaka in a way. Like, we paid outsized attention to her. Her results hadn't always justified the attention we paid yeah, to her. Yeah, true. And the sort of place she held in our tennis hearts, yeah. for whatever reason. But she, in singles at least, and her doubles was very good. But, uh, but yeah, so she's a uh, an interesting... Uh, we're in center court, by the way. There's a lot of like people assembling chairs, putting up net posts. Things are happening now. It's Sunday. It's the day before the yeah. championships are set to begin, Sunday evening. And, uh, and yeah, we got some net posts being walked out. We got the uh, net being rolled. Being in the background. Apologies, yeah. there's noise there. So. Uh, yeah, but uh, Barty's particular part of this group of death starts with uh, Zheng, Sha Zheng Sai Sai, and then Svetlana Kuznetsova or Alison Van Oetvang, which is not easy, either one of them, really. And then... Uh, uh, Muguruza potentially as her third round match and that's just that's brutal Muguruza is somebody who will always I think almost in sort of like I don't know if there's an ATP analog I want to say Delpo but that's not quite right like she's someone who you know it slams she's like a rich woman's Kanepi <laughs> oh my gosh right <laughs> who, who is also in the interesting death, by the way. <laughs> yeah she um, is but she's kind of like right she's like that like right like she's someone who no matter how mediocre her tour results may be by her standards at any given point she can turn it out at a grand slam and do big things and we all respect and fear her for that yeah i mean she plays the tour so that already makes her and differentiates her from kaya does kaya not play any tournaments not a lot oh fun <laughs> great good for her <laughs> good for her not for me <laughs> Uh, also, just to show you the depth of this, like Vekic Risk is like a first round match. It was one of the toughest first round matches. We didn't even mention either of them yet in this group of death. They are in the next part of this section, uh, along with uh, Leslie Kirkov, a, a uh, qualifier. You know what her name means in Dutch? Did our Dutch friend tell you what her name means? He did, but you can you can reveal it. It means graveyard, churchyard. So that's dark. Um, Stephanie Vogele is in here too. Kanepi, the aforementioned Kanepi, could play. We have another tough first round. Benchic Pavlovichenkova. So like the hits keep coming in here because the way they do the Wimbledon draw, like they do it, you know, they fill in a bit and just like more people kept getting added. We haven't even mentioned five-time champion Maria Sharapova is in this quarter of the draw, and she is legitimately an afterthought in this section of the draw. That's how tough it is. Um, let's, let's start with just her eighth here, Courtney. Do you think Barty should make it through to the, the quarterfinals, which would be basically getting through people in the top 16 here, winning four rounds? <laughs> through to the quarterfinals? Oh, yeah. sorry, yes. Uh, I think it's, I mean, I would say yes. I think the, the, the trickiest match w is the potential third rounder against Muguruza. Yeah. I think getting through there, uh, and and she's got, I think, a good look. Um, I think it's really, really unfortunate that we're going to lose either Donna Vekic or Allison Risk in the first round. Yeah. I think that's what's just a brutal draw um, on every level. And, uh, you know, Benchich, I, I thought, was going to have a little bit of a better grass season. She made the Mallorca final um, and served for the match, so it's not like, you know, she had a terrible, uh, terrible one. But again, to open up against Pavlyuchenkova, who we just you never know with Nasia, uh, which Nasia shows up and, and she can bang bang that court. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do like Ash Barty to, to make it through to the to the quarterfinals. Uh, and then the next section, the next which would be her her, her deepest run. Th she's never made past third round yeah. here. It's weirdly her worst major. There are a few people who we think of as being like not bad on grass per se. Barty Fliskova and even Wozniacki, who's won a bunch of Eastbourne titles, who never do anything with Wimbledon. It's a weird sort of uh, split there. Uh, Serena Williams is in the next section of the draw, along with Angelique Kerber in this eighth. And Serena could play uh, comfortable, you would think, opening first couple of rounds, opening against Julia Gatto-Monticoni in the first round, who's a qualifier, one of the oldest ever Wimbledon debutantes. And we believe she's 31 years old, playing Wimbledon for the first time. So good for you, Julia. And then uh, Kai Juven and Christina Pliskova in the second round. That's not too bad. Uh, she played Chris Plisset at a major last year at French Open. 
went okay for her. But then it gets tougher against Gerges, who just made Birmingham final, was a semifinalist here last year. And so Serena won that match in the semifinals here last year. And if she gets wins that match, she'll get a rematch last year's final, potentially, against Angelique Kerber, if Kerber makes it past, uh, probably, I guess, Sharapova in the third round. and Who she beat handily yeah, in Mallorca just yeah. two weeks ago. Tatiana Maria is actually not a bad grass court player at all. A tricky player. Not the kind of person you think Kerber would have problems with, per se, but... Anyway, uh, if it's Kerber Serena in the fourth round, that's a uh, manic Monday spectacular right there. Yeah, and 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 I I just really have a hard time not seeing that match not happen pending Serena's health. Again, what she says is good. Which she, she says, says she's pain free. Her yeah. coach Patrick McMurtaglia talking a big game. Asked about the draw, said eh, it's tough luck for everybody else. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be with Serena. <laughs> That's Which is true. I mean, nobody wants yeah. to land in Serena's section. He's not. He's not lying there. But yeah, it, it, I find it hard to 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 that see that round of sixteen match between Serena and Angie not happening, only because I thought Angie, uh, in addition to obviously Serena being Serena, Angie played incredibly well. I think um, over the grass court season, I was so impressed with her. In particular, uh, in Eastbourne, made the final, got beat by a perfect Carolina Pliskova. It was unbelievable what Carolina Pliskova did in that final. But uh, but the way that Kerber uh, took care of Halep in the uh, quarterfinal was also really notable so and just in terms of the way that she's playing I think she's comfortable I think she's fit I think she's feeling it um so I I, I really cannot wait for that uh that that Manic Monday match to happen and probably the, one of the only matches that I could say confidently in this draw that I genuinely think will happen uh it'll be interesting then if the winner of that does play Barty because Barty on her run to the French Open did not have to play a former Grand Slam champion did not have to play a top uh 20 player, 10 ish player, Serena's 11, called 10 ish player. And your only real sort of like big name scalp she's, I think she's ever gotten in a major was when she beat Sharapova at Australia this year. And Sharapova was, was kind of hurt and missed a bunch of time after that match. And I, I, it's an interesting test for Vardy, who's number one already, having gotten there, like I said, very suddenly, without having checked some of the Grand Slam boxes that people usually have to check on route to winning a major, on route to getting to be a top seed in a major. Uh, it'll be interesting. I, it's actually the quarter to watch, and they start on Tuesdays. Those alternate, those every other day is the Tuesday, the Thursday, the Saturday. When those, when those players play are going to be the big days. And actually on the men's side, too, those are the Federer and Nadal days also. So that's the packed schedule days. Oof. And then the other days are significantly thinner, um, which is why, to mention something I mentioned on take one of the podcast, we have Kyle Edmund against Hame Munar in the first, on, on center court tomorrow. Which you're not happy about. I think it's an outrage. It's an outrage. <laughs> uh, second quarter. Kiki Burton's not outraged about anything, generally. Um, fairly. I wouldn't actually, you know, she could probably outrage about something, I'm sure. Uh, but she opens against uh, Manella. And then it's Taylor Townsend or Arena Rodina. Oh, sorry. Arena Rodinova. Uh, the other Rodinova. Uh, who qualified and looks good in qualifying. Uh, and uh, then maybe Stritseva or Serenko, third round. Uh, Burton's has been playing better on grass in the last couple of years. She made quarters here last year. She made the final of Sir Togenbosch. Lost a really good final, really good final to Allison Risk. Uh, Five there. match points. Yeah, it was a, she definitely could have won it. Um, Burton's is a draw winner, 1,000% draw winner. Uh, probably the biggest draw winner, especially with uh, Fitova's health being questionable. He hasn't practiced really fully, at least when we talked to her as of Saturday. Um, I think Burton's can make the semis, which, again, feels crazy to say. Oh, Burton's made the semis after just having been like, I don't know if Serena can get, you know, about four, <laughs> Kerber and, well, Gerges is no shot or whatever. And just like, it, this is, it, I've always said in tennis, the biggest luck in tennis is draw luck. Mm-hmm. And I think Burton's 
has a real shot of going real deep here. She does. I, I think she does. I think that, um, you know, and, and I think that what helps Kiki a little bit as well, and obviously she's she's kind of trying to rebound from, you know, that disappointing end to her uh, French Open where she was a, a oh, shortlist yeah. favorite for the title and, and got ill. And it wasn't, and I asked her in her press conference, you know, how long did it take for you to emotionally get over this idea that, you know, you, your French Open which many of us were saying were probably going to be the best chance that she was going to have to win a major, uh, you know, uh, yeah, she got sick. And she said, actually, it, I, it was more about the physical because she was in bed for five days oh, wow. um, after that. And she said that she was in like just so much pain and just like so ill that she didn't really have time or even thought about like, you know, the emotional impact of it all. And, you know, what an opportunity lost. Like she was just feeling sick. She lost two kilos um, over the, that time. But then, you know, obviously rebounded really well and, and made that Sertogenbosch final, which was her first grass court final. It's weird to think that 12 months ago, Kiki Burton had never made a final on any surface outside of clay. Um, and obviously that has completely changed. Yeah. So for her to do that is pretty great. Um, and then to follow it up also with a really good run to the semifinals of Eastbourne. She beat Arena Sabalenka there in a great match. Lost to, again, a perfect Pliskova uh, in the semifinals. But so Kiki Burton's playing well, gets a good draw, is going to be flying under the radar because she is going to be playing on the day where everyone is going to be focused on everything else. She's probably going to get pushed to, you know, a uh, as we watch a... Whoa, this is awesome. Oh, they're, they're taking down the court now. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's oh, a dry run of the covering yeah, of the covers. Oh, this is fascinating. Okay, so they just pushed the chair. There's somebody sitting in the chair to provide ample weightage or something who's filming the other proceedings, and now they're pulling the cover. Can you hear this? I hope you can hear this. They're going well. No one tripped. No one fell. Everyone is making it. And they're to the end, and they did it. Good work, team. That was amazing. It was fine. <laughs> it was good. It was good. It was like a dry run. It was like a fire drill. Yeah, it, was it was great. It was very good. Anyways. Um, anyway, Keith Burton will have a uh, not-so-dry run. Uh, yeah, possibly deep in this tournament, where she could play in the quarters, potentially one of the two breakout not breakout for Conta because Conta's done other things, but a surprise semifinalist in Paris, uh, Conta, and I would look at Anisimova, who's in here too, who I don't think I've ever seen play on grass, I'll be perfectly honest. She's pretty new, it's not my fault. Um, <laughs> no blame for that. And then she's in this open section here with Kvitova, who's question mark. Kvitova is healthy and raring, I mean, she, can, she should make semis. That is not how I think she is right now. Well, it's been a while since she's made a run that deep. It's not yeah. since she won the title back not in 2014. Here, yeah. And, here. you know, here. And she, you know, she laughed about it and said, I don't know, maybe maybe now I don't have the expectations. And maybe now is when it happens, you know. But um, she is practicing here with a with a big white sleeve uh, outside of her uh, her left forearm, you know, the, the Milos Raonic sleeve kind of, but worn a little bit lower. So, you know, we'll see. And she said, you know, so long as nothing happens between now and Tuesday, I will play this tournament. And interestingly, she plays another player who's also racing uh, to health heal. Uh, to heal, which is Ons Jabor, who has had a great grass season, but uh, rolled her ankle, bad. yeah, rolled her ankle pretty badly in the quarterfinals in uh, Eastbourne. in Eastbourne. And uh, yeah, so she's also racing time. So there's been kind of a lot of jokes in that one of like, who's like, if you're both not fit to play, who steps on the court? Because if you retire, then you lose your prize money and all this sort of stuff. But uh, but I, I have a feeling that match is going to go. And if it doesn't go, it's not going to be because of Petra. Yeah, there you go. So we'll see uh, how that one happens. Bottom half of the women's draw. Uh, the next section is the Carolina Pliskova section, who is, I will say, my sort of pick to win this tournament because she's not in the group of death and she's playing great. And I say this knowing that she has never done anything at this tournament at all. Round of 16. Round of 16, which is a breakout for her last year. She beat Buzernescu. She was the only, I believe, top 10 player, top 10 seed, uh, Serena would yeah. correct me, because uh, Kerber was seed, ranked 10th, seeded 11th. 
Oh, they're taking the covers off now. Nice audio effect happening here. Um, good times. Yeah, yeah good times. Uh, I think Pliskova is uh, not a draw winner, per se. I think she's got some tricks in her draw. Yep. Most notably, third round against uh, Shea Sue yeah. uh, who beat top-ranked Simona Halep here, then top-ranked Simona Halep here last year. Uh, and is a dangerous opponent and not somebody, someone like Pliskova, who's a big, tall gal, won't have to bend down and shake and make things miserable for her on grass. Uh, you know, Shea Sue, who opens against Yelena Ostapenko, yeah. who also has injury concern, having fell, also, fallen and has a hip injury. Um, but also who had had a kind of resurgent grass season, which she needed because she was on danger. Maybe she still is uh, falling out of top 100 after this turn. Well, she has semi- semifinals, yeah. Semifinals to defend here and unseated here this year. So, yeah, it's a mess, messy little section of the draw. Um, and then Von Drosheva, potentially, who I haven't seen on grass, I don't think, either. Um, and then this is a fun section. There's Von Brengel, Mukova, Krunich. Mukova, Krunich, my one, my first round, like, outside courts, like, oh, yeah. popcorn that match. That is the one to watch. If you're a grounds pass on, uh, what day is that? Monday, they play Monday. Mukova, Krunich is your, yeah. is your shout. Uh, yeah, I, I think Pliskova is the one to watch here. And then this upper section, the draw, Sevastova's done well in Mallorca in her career, so maybe she could translate to, to grass. I mean, Petra Martic has also been okay. On grass, Sakari likes grass. Okay, Svitolina hasn't done much here in her career, really. Uh, so this again, because the top quarter was so packed, it feels like opportunity everywhere else in the draw. Yeah, no, that's yeah. very, very true. And you know, I think Savastova very easy. Like she could have one of those Rabarakova runs to the semifinals. Yeah. You know, like quality player knows how to play on the surface. Like you know, pretty workable draw opens against Christian, then plays either uh, Daniel Collins or Zarina Diaz, and then a Martich Savastova match will be really fun. I think on grass. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I this it would be another absolute crusher. If uh, if Carolina Pliskova does not make it out of this quarter, yeah, I agree. Uh, she, she 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 should be and better. There's, and there's just, I mean, I will say this because, you know, I've said this many times that not enough people talk about Carolina Pliskova. Uh, she's so good. She's doing everything right. She's you know matches Barty in uh, winning three titles this year, all on different surfaces. She's just right behind Ash in terms of match wins, all of these sorts of things. And yet people, nobody's ever talking about her. And there's a, there's a, I think there's a good segment of the tennis pundit uh, crew who who want to see Carolina Pliskova get her slam that she's too good of a player at this point to not have a major she's now definitely the best one without one best yeah. active player without a slam without a doubt to it's me not even not close. even comp- not even a question um so that's Pliskova's quarter and then next quarter is Nemesaka's quarter uh definite draw loser early on uh who opens against Yulia Putinseva don't overlook that because she is 0-2 against Putinseva and got drubbed by her pretty good in Birmingham just two weeks ago. So that is a match that I am not looking past for Osaka, a very much dangerous matchup for her. Um, and then if she gets past that, he gets Fiatek, uh, who I have a lot of stories about. I'll hopefully get to write at some point because she's uh, she was hanging out at Roehampton a lot, which is very cool. Reading, bring her enormous book with her. It's like an 1100 page book <laughs> on like British history. And I saw her the other day and like to her credit, her bookmark had moved up like two by 200 pages. Like, well she, done, she is, Mika. Like, she is literate. Well, she's like in, in finals right now. Like she's studying this for is, tests. This is like pleasure reading. This is like, <sighs> it's in. <laughs> I love her. I will just say she, so she, she's like BFFs with Kaya Yuvan and Kaya Yuvan was playing at Roehampton. And she was sort of like lingering around the press room when Yuvan was in here there doing her, uh, her post-match press. And we just sort of had like, to, like sit down, just like join the round table and they started talking to each other or whatever. And, you guys start like making fun of her for like always being such these kings and queens, and Ika just goes like, starts so like, you know I love the tutors. <laughs> Shut up. That is the greatest thing that I've ever heard. It was so I great. would laugh so much louder, except that we're sitting on center court and there's people, and I feel like I can't cackle, but I want to cackle so much. She had bought souvenir Henry VIII t-shirts. 
it is a whole thing. Igus Fiatek is is the nerd you need um, in, in all the best ways. So she, she could play Osaka in second round. Um, yeah, so, so then Anastasia Kennan is in there too. It's yeah. possible third round. This is a rough draw for uh, for Osaka. Kennan just won Mallorca, right? Yes. Yeah, so she's... Or, Beating Benchich in the final. Yeah, so so this bad draw for Osaka. Uh, then if she gets past the first week, which is a big if, because I mean, this is a nightmarish for, for her first draw for her, then she gets a little more space. Uh, not as worried about her with Garcia or Wozniacki. See, I, I think that Garcia is a potential match there. I think that Garcia, oh, Osaka on grass yeah. um, is tough. Obviously, Caroline's Caroline. I mean, she's an incredible competitor, and we'll see. But I think Garcia Osaka could be could be a big one. Garcia and Burton's lead the tour in grass wins this year. One Nottingham did. Caroline Garcia has played well, played well in Mallorca as well. So, um, and she's played here well at Wimbledon. That Conta match she had here that every was kind of overshadowed by because of the fact that the round earlier um, Conta had that epic against Donna Vekic. But uh, the Garcia Conta match was also fantastic. And so, um, so yeah, that's it. I think this is a really, really brutal draw for Naomi Osaka, straight up. Let me check to make sure we're still recording. Apparently, twenty minutes. We're good. We're good, folks. Yes, we're good. Okay. Um, and then uh, women's uh, next part here. Uh, this other part of the Osaka quarter to finish off is I'm just going to Halep is in here and Sabalenka is in here, but I most want to talk about the most talked about first round match in this tournament, which is Venus Williams, the oldest player in the draw, unseated player against qualifier Corey, known as Coco Goff, the youngest player in the draw at 15, who qualified youngest ever qualifier in Wimbledon history. A story on Goff. Um, Goff is someone I got to say. So Goff has been I've heard about Goff for years. Like, golf has been talked about since she was probably, like, 10 or 11 in the sport, even before she was sort of playing, like, junior slams. Yep. People knew about her. She was talking about this next big thing, da 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 da, da. And I got to say, that kind of talk always makes me very nervous. Yes. Like, when you hear about someone who is, oh, another dry run happening. You're running. I guess because, like, they like they slow down because, like, you see people slip and fall. Like, these men have their grass footwork down. They should do drills for players who are unfamiliar with it. They're going to pull again. Net post coming down, da 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 da, da. Good. I kind of yanked them. Wow. I hope y'all can hear this. It's really nice sort of... You ever so get, pleasant. You ever get, remember when I was kids, you got to play with like a big parachute in like yeah. preschool? That's kind of what this is giving me. Anyway, speaking of children, uh, Coco Goff uh, is... Uh, yeah, so I, I always was not wanting to get on the hype train early. We didn't write about her, like, I think, in the New York Times until she made the US Open Junior Final. Like, you know, when, when you've done like relatively quote-unquote nothing and you get burned with expectations, it just, it's, I think it leads never good. I think you don't want to burden a kid with that much and say, oh, you're the best ever before you've ever played and for professional tennis or even elite junior tennis. Uh, but now she's sort of backing things up. Now she's here at Wimbledon. I watched a, most all of her final round qualifying match and a bunch of her first round match. So her first round in quality, she played Aliona Bolseva, who was a fourth rounder at the French Open and is now a top 100 player. And she beat her pretty soundly. Like it was a three and four win, but it was never really felt in doubt for golf. She was just out playing her the entire time. In the final round, she beat Greet Minnen, uh, well known as the girlfriend of Alison Van Oyfank, who um, is a very fast moving player this year, yeah, for rising sure. up the rankings. And she beat her handily. She didn't one, drop a set in no, through she, qualifying, not even close to dropping close a set. To dropping a set. And so now is when it's sort of be like, okay, this kid is for real. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get to pay attention to her. And she still won't get to see her that much because the age rule, she's still very much running up against the age rule. She only has five more tournaments left she can play before her 16th birthday, which is in March. So you're not going to get to see that much more of her for the next while. But this is a big chance for her. And that age rule, people say, the back side is it does really pressurize them once you do get to play because you're like, I can't waste one of these tournaments I get to play. Uh, anyway, she plays Venus. Uh, Serena was talking about them because she's based with more Togolu golf. And so Serena's seen a fair amount of golf. Mm-hmm. And was saying that she reminds her of Venus. And she does have that kind of similar sort of build, which is what Serena said too. Um, and yeah, and, and also coached by her dad. And also like, like Richard Williams, they went to 
other coaches seek expert help, and they're both sort of Delray, Boynton Beach area people. So anyway, there's a lot of parallels there. I think it's a cool story. It's the best match of the fir- most exciting, most writable match of the first round. And she seems cool. And she seems like I'm not as worried about golf having to spend a little more time with her now. Um, but she's mature. Week. She's mature. She's also, like, not at all a tunnel vision sort of prodigy who's, like, made to do one thing. And it's like, I went, like, for example, I, like, was in the National Geography when I was a kid, which was um, a few, like, normal people, but also mostly a bunch of, like, sort of, like, homeschooled, homeschooled. twitching little freaks, you know, <laughs> honestly. And she's not that. She is, like pretty like curious and like fairly like worldly she's like really into history and black history particularly and put stuff about juneteenth and all sorts of different stuff which i think is very cool and into social issues she has this link on her instagram which is like send money to donate for the children who are starving in sudan like these are like things that tennis players don't usually like have the perspective to deal with and that she's already there or 15 year olds right for sure and and obviously there are plenty of like you know engaged 15 years i don't want to disparage youth with a broad brush there but like she's very much clued in and, and makes me I was a little more relaxed about, about her whole deal, less nervous. And we'll see what she can do against Venus. I mean, Venus uh, played a grass court warm-up for the first time in a long time in Birmingham, so that was nice to see. Um, and I expect Venus to win that match with her experience and the occasion. It's on court one. should be on center, but it's on court one. And uh, yeah, Kyle Evans on center. It's a whole thing. Um, <laughs> Ben's yeah, not happy I'm about not it. thrilled about that. But anyway, uh, Coco Golf will be the story, and, and it's cool to follow and see what she can do. And yeah, the, the golf seemed like, from my limited experience to them, I was sort of impressed by their whole way about going about things. Yeah, no, that that's basically been the book that I've had, and similar thing. Just I've known about her, but obviously because of the age restriction rule, you know, kind of also knew it doesn't make sense to hype this person up because no fans are going to be able to see her unless you go to ITFs and things like that, maybe. Um, uh, and even then, it, there's still restrictions. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely interesting and, and exciting. Um, looking forward to that match on Monday. Uh, and that is the women's draw, pretty much. Halep uh, is in here, too. Kasakina, who's had a rough year, and so hopefully maybe she can find Azarenka. Some. Azarenka's in there, too. Yeah, Azarenka, not a bad draw, but Azarenka's standards, if we think of her having rough draws all the time. She plays Cornet first, and then Kasakina, Tomjanovic, and then Halep, like, on grass, that's workable enough. Yeah. You can't complain about that, I don't think. Um, and so we'll see if, if he can do things. Um, yeah, overall, I'm picking Pliskova to win this tournament just because I think that she is in the not group of death. And so it's just percentage, not a percentage play to pick one of the group of death people because you don't know who's going to make it out of there. I hope Pliskova can, can back it up. And is in this mind, she's with Conchita Martinez, who last time she coached a play at Wimbledon was Muguruza, and they won that tournament. So... I don't know, signs to me are pointing Pliskova directions, but uh, she could obviously also lose first round to whoever she's playing. I don't even remember. <laughs> uh, who is she playing yeah. first round so I can finish that thought? She's playing uh, Julin. She's going to beat Julin. She's going to beat Julin. I feel okay about that now. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I, I don't do predictions. I, I do think that, that, that people are very, very foolish to overlook Karolina Pliskova yeah. for all the reasons that you said she's not going to have to go and beat up people yeah. to, to get into that final if she were to, to get to that final and then once there who knows who she faces and obviously your 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 guess can change from there you know um, but uh, but yeah that that quarter of death and then just uh, keeping track of Pliskova keeping track of Burton's and monitoring Petra Kvitova's arm are kind of uh, the, the the top line things that I'm kind of keeping an eye on I think in, the, in that first week. So let's get back into the men's straw. I'm so sorry, Ben. It happened. We recorded like 20 minutes. At least. On the men. There was a lot of talk. I have no idea because these are, these are not rehearsed podcasts, folks. No. It was real off the cuff. We thought it was real good. I I apparently didn't hit the record button or hit it too many times We're using or something. Cord, recorder, we usually use mine. Yeah, we do. So, anyway. yeah. So, so, so here we go. Uh, Novak Djokovic. <laughs> 
Um, I had a lot of great jokes last time, which I'll try to replicate, about Novak Djokovic leading a seven-hour player council meeting, um, which was so miserable that pretty quickly after three player council members <laughs> resigned, Robin Hassa, uh, Sergei Sikovsky, and uh, right. Jamie Murray, and then also and then also Dan Danny Valverde, who's a sort so of four. auxiliary member. So, yeah, so four, not of the ten, because Dana doesn't count in the ten, per se. Oh, he's like, he's like the auxiliary, okay. he's not a voting member of the thing. Okay. Um, side note, it's great for men's tennis that Sergei Sikovsky is no longer on the player council. Um, that's just a win for everybody. Uh, no one needs him representing anything, uh, except for what not to do in life. Um, uh, Novak Djokovic opens against Philip Kohlschreiber. Uh, Kolschreiber uh, has beaten him in Indy Wells this year. Uh, I think this is a rough draw for Djokovic, actually. Kolschreiber first. I mean, we expect him to beat, but it's not an easy first match at all. Kolschreiber has done well on grass before in his career, too. I think he's... Rough or tricky? Not tricky, just not easy. Like, I think it's just a, a draw where he should win these matches. So first against Kolschreiber, and then against Dennis Kudla. I think it's the most likely to get out of this match against Shaziri. Kudla's a very good grass court player. He's uh, punches above his weight on grass court for sure. Um and his low flat ball, sort of like a Leighton Hewitt mold kind of grass player. Um, and then uh, possibly uh, your boy, Hubert Hercatch. Hubie fully loaded. I love Hubert Hercatch. Uh, for those who don't know, who don't follow me on the Twitter, uh, they may not know that Hubert Hercatch is now, well, depending on what Annie Murray tends on, dep ends up doing, uh, just generally in his tennis life from here on out. But Hubert Hercatch is my new favorite tennis player, mainly because... Men's on the men's side. Male player. Male player. Sorry. Uh, mm. Oh. Mm. Um, only because he looks like somebody like did very, very detailed motion capture on Andy Murray and then laid it over a like ready player one, uh, like a computer opponent in uh, some sort of tennis video game. And that's Hubert Hercatch. They play nothing alike, what, but their what, mannerisms. What are the similarities? The similarities are everything. Uh, the walk, the slightly hitched walk, kind of like a little bit pitched forward. Um, but the, the, the dead giveaway um, is that he does the Andy Murray uh, pocket tuck with his thumb, which is when getting to ready to serve, puts the ball into the pocket and then very delicately, very gently even, does this little thumb nudge in the pocket to push the ball down. Andy Murray does it, so does Hubert Hercatch. They're twinsies. My heart has two loves. Let it not <laughs> let it not be said that NCR does not bring you detailed coverage of what Andy Murray's been doing with his thighs for the last relatively how many decades because one of us has been paying very close attention. Um, but Andy, you watch what you watch. You watch what you watch. <laughs> it's on TV. You watch it. Um, uh, the next match after that, uh, catch I mean, Livich is a high seed in that section also, yeah. and Golbus is in here too. Actually, hi Golbus. Uh, Golbus has had a rough year. Poor Ernie. Uh, Felix Ojeda-Seem is in here as the 19 seed. Uh, Malfis is a high section, but this could be. Djokovic's fourth round. Oji Alcim getting a lot of talk. Uh, he's top 20 player now and seated 19th at this tournament, despite having never won a Grand Slam main draw match, and I think never won a best of five match either at all. Um, and so the question is, like, how much should you look at this draw and say, like, yeah, with how he's playing this year, Oji should should make fourth round and should be able to go go second week, or how much do you say, whoa, whoa, slow down, he hasn't done anything at a slam? Like, wh where do you find the balance there? Well, I'm, I'm, I'd probably shade towards the latter rather than the former, but not because he hasn't done anything at a slam, but because he's 18 years old. And I think that, that to expect like an 18-year-old's body to be able to hold up in a best-of-five competition is, is expecting a lot. And if he exceeds those expectations, that's amazing. You know, but to say that it's expected of him too, um, I think that that's setting the bar unfairly high um, just for expectations. I mean, we know what the potential is and we know how good he is. I mean, I'm very, very high on him. I just know that he's 18 
years old and he's playing, you know, he is a boy amongst men. And, you know, yes, he may be able to get like a couple of sets here and there, you know, on, on, on hard courts or on clay courts where you're comfortable, but grass still remains a, a very unique and very different, you know, surface. Um, and so I don't, and I'm not sure Felix has as much exposure to this, this, this surface and how he needs to play his grass court tennis as, um, as anybody else. So I think experience does matter, especially at Wimbledon, um, on both the men's and women's sides. So yeah, I, I'm definitely tempering my expectations more out of fairness than, um, than, you know, I don't think he can do it. Like it's, it's not like denigrating him at all. I just think, yeah, he's, he's still young. Dimitrov is also in the section. Dimitrov, um, this is new to this recording, has, um, is, is the star of, I don't know if you've seen it, in Wimbledon sort of town, by the Wimbledon station, is on a big Haagen-Dazs advert. Ah, yes. I saw yes, a photo of this. Haagen-Dazs. Right? sponsor. And so it's Greek girl on one side, and then there's like a female model on the other side. And my question is, why can't you get a WTA player to do it? WTA ladies can eat some ice cream. Oh my gosh, Sloan absolutely wants a Haagen-Dazs sponsorship. Know, some blonde lady. And it's just like, I look very closely, it's like, Apologies if this is some like fairly photoshopped WTA player because I didn't recognize her if she is. But I was looking like that's not a that's not a player, is it? That's just some lady. Like not that general public ladies don't also enjoy the ice cream. But anyway, I just thought it was like get Sloan, yes, get Sloan. This I mean, get her agent on the phone and get her get her a dang haunted dust deal. She should call, talk to Grigor. That's that's I'm Grigor for honest and dropping the ball there for being like I'm on an ad without Sloan. This is this is my equality writer. Oh, that would have been awesome. Oh my gosh. How amazing would it be if ATP players started having equality writers? Can you make hey, it happen? I mean, WTA players could do it too. I mean, we can all leverage each other. It's yeah. fine. We can lift each other up, folks. Lift Flo- each other up. Float all boats. Float all the boats. And don't do it in a seven hour player council meeting because that just seems like a way to drown uh, in rising seas of pointlessness. Uh, the next section in here uh, features uh, is anchored by Stefan Sitsipas and his BFF, uh, Daniel Medvedev. Uh, and they can play each other fourth round, and they seem likely to. They both have pretty clear draws. Uh, Sitsipas in the, in the third round can play the winner of the match between Kyle Edmund and Jaume Munar, uh, which is a first-round match. It's on center court, which I will reiterate, is a horrible scheduling piece of work because no one thinks that's one of the three best matches tomorrow. Nobody. I don't I mean, care. British people might. No, they, even they know better than this. Kyle Edmund, yes, is British number one, but that is a bad opponent. Sorry, that's not an interesting opponent. He's playing. There's no Cecil Valley at all to Munar on grass. Ain't nothing happening there. Last year's finalist, I think the match, if you're going to put a men's match on there, it should be Anderson Air Bear, which is Air Bear, very stylish, grass court, you know, all court kind of player against last year's finalist. Andy Murray's doubles partner. That's sort of a narrative there already, too. Um, Edmund being there, just, just I don't know, vexed. And, and and just to be clear, you're just because you know you know how I feel about like people complaining and just tearing down and not offering solutions. I believe you had a solution that you thought. It's not that you just don't want that match on there. It's that you think that there's another match that is better to be put on there. To be very clear, I don't want that match on there. But <laughs> yes, I think Anders will be better. I think that Venus versus Corey Goff will be better. I think that uh, your average. Let me even look through the other men's matches. Uh, Vesely Zverev, I think, will be a better match on there for sure. Um, uh, Hell, I mean, uh, Sitsipas, Fabiano. Fabiano's not a bad grass court player, actually. Uh, her catch live, and that's the stretch. But, um, you know. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, like, just thinks Andy Murray, people. He's like, he's like, yes, yes, he does do that thing with his thumb. Yes, yes, it does look like Andy. Yes. He hmm. could fool a lot. You you haven't seen enough Hubie. The way he wears his cap, just all of it. Just, he's way taller than Andy, isn't he? The yes, body type's I, not the same. No, the body type's just, seriously, you guys, watch Hubert Hercotch, and if you think, genuinely think, that he does not move in between points like Andy Murray, 
then tweet us and you can yell at me and I'll take it. But I just don't think that anybody who's watched Andy Murray play all these years will not see him in what they see with Hubert Hercotch. Okay, let's get to the next section and talk about Kevin Anderson playing Perry which is just an excuse to talk about Andy Murray. Andy Murray. Speaking of Andy Murray. Speaking of Andy Murray, Andy Murray is the doubles partner of Pierre Ugebert at this tournament, um, which caused some consternation among Mahou fan, but which generally well received by people. Did you say Mahou fam? I only know one on Twitter. <laughs> okay. But uh, <laughs> she she was vexed. But uh, there were you know um, it's 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 a good partner friend. I think it's a really kind of perfect partner because Herbert is somebody who um, is someone who's really good at doubles, but also trying to get away from doubles. And so like, he knows how to do it, but it's also not like his life that he's like high mm. pressure. And if Andy like has to pull after a match or two, everybody will not be mad. Um, yeah. uh, I think everybody won this tournament last year, I believe, with Mahu in doubles. So they've been, they won Australia this year. So they've been a good active team. Uh, nice guy. And uh, was, was pretty chill about the whole Leon and Kyrgios and that happened on his court at the US Open, which was nonsense. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, Murray uh, is back and looks so happy. This is the main thing. Andy seems so happy here and so carefree and like easy at ease and everything and moving well and just smiling and happy and it makes you realize how much agony he was in for so long that he was not that way and that it was physical pain which we maybe all underestimated how much sort of constant agony he was in and i'm first of all very happy for him as a person he's a much better quality of life now and enjoyment of his life on and off court that coming back to tennis like will he win a grand slam again i don't care like honestly, I, nobody cares. Nobody cares. In, in Roger nobody Federer cares. Nobody cares. And it, no. you know, in a lot of ways, you almost look back and you wonder, like maybe that was just Andy's face. Like you know, like people just, oh, he's so miserable. He's a miserable guy. And it's like, no, maybe actually it hurts him to take steps, yeah. and it hurts him to like move, and he has to save it all for the court. And you know, and he's one, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So I was absolutely stunned by how well he moved in Queens. I couldn't believe it, honestly. I was, with Lee Shano, yeah, exactly. And I was so ready for him to kind of come out and. You know, you just kind of cringe a little bit whenever anybody plays their first match after, you know, injury or or, 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 or surgery and things like that. But he looked super good. And, and, I mean, a lot of positive talk about him potentially um, playing singles at the U.S. Open if everything goes well, um, which is exciting. It's tough because it's best of five, which Andy Murray is now a convert on. We're happy to say. <laughs> we are. We're happy. We're thrilled. Ben's super happy, and he's drinking his Badois water like it's tea. Badoit. Oh, Badoit. <laughs> is it Badoit? No, it's not. Badoit. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. I haven't even taken a sip yet. What, what do you mean like it's tea? Like you, you were like, you were like very dramatically like unscrewing the top, like I'm going to take a swig of this after I just said that. And I was like, okay, calm down. Okay. It's just sparkling water, man. It's not even the best. It's kind of flat, the Badoit. Um, there's, this is the next quarter of the draw. It's one of the most open. There's no big, I mean, Anderson being bumped up by the seating formula. Uh, to number four means that this quarter has nobody who's like a real, you know, would be necessarily the person to talk about Ulster, but there's a few plausible sort of players in here. Uh, Kevin Anderson is obviously number four, and then he hasn't played much at all with the el- lingering elbow injury this year. Sam Avrinka's in here, never made Wimbledon semi, but maybe maybe now's the time. Milos Ronich, who's Wimbledon runner-up in the past and is probably on paper the best shot to do well here, but has had so many health concerns and just hasn't really gotten that consistency in the last couple of years. Uh... Benoit Pair is playing better on grass these days, and that I have to mention Benoit Pair, I think shows that this is a pretty open section. And then Sasha Zverev, who opens against Yuri Vesely, which is a very tough first match. And if Sasha Zverev loses that match to a booming Vesely, who I think has pulled up big Wimbledon upsets before, I think he knocked team out in straight sets first round a couple years ago. Like, he's a, he, I think that happened. Maybe that didn't happen, but I, let's say it happened. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy who can just hit somebody off the court in a very Wimbledon kind of sense of things. And so if that happens to Zverev, not Zverev's worst slam loss. 
Fair enough. Yeah, no, I, mean, I don't know if it's, I don't know if I think it's that mega tricky for Zverev, but maybe it is. I, I don't know. Uh, hard for me to say. Uh, but yeah, definitely an open section uh, with Anderson kind of leading it. And who knows how, how Kevin's kind of playing uh, as he plays for the first time after after injury. I think I forgot to mention Kachanoff, who's also you in also, here. You also, you did, yeah. yeah so Karen, Karen Kachanoff's also in here, but you know, whether or not, and obviously he's coming off of a great Roland Garros, but whether or not he, you know, can kind of adjust his strokes to, to grass where it's a little bit obviously faster. He takes a very loopy swing on his shots. I'm not sure. He doesn't flatten out. Yeah. Like so that, I remember he it's was, all heavy. He was, I think the year that, that Nadal, Nadal lost to Mueller in the fourth round, I think he played Kachanoff third round. I was like, Kachanoff can do this. Kachanoff is like the kind of guy who hit him off the court. And then Kachanoff played so loopy. Yeah. And I was like, this is not happening. Like, I within, do remember within, that, Within yeah. like three games, I was like, oh, no, this is not right. This no. is not happening. Never mind. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, so so Kachanoff might not be, uh, you know, uh, he may need a few more minutes in the oven before he can he can come out here and do what he, he, he potentially could do if he makes adjustments to his game to, to grass. But uh, but yeah, no, so that's that's super open. I don't know. I don't know who comes out of there. Now the next bottom half of the draw. Now, the top quarter of the bottom half. We'll get. To, let's just talk about the seeding formula briefly, which we talked about. Seething formula. Seed, oh, did I say that? The seething formula. That's the good Friday mislead because Rafael Nadal is seeded and seething. Uh, he is number three. That's and, a great Twitter name. <laughs> like unseated and looming, yeah, like he like used to be. So. Yeah, seated, seated and seething. <laughs> uh, seething and seeding. Yeah. Anyway, it's good. Someone take it. Uh, <laughs> Nadal is uh, number three, which is right number two. It got to move to number three. It is for draw purposes moot within that section of two and three switching because you're just you're on the bottom half. It would have mattered more if Nadal had went up on the Djokovic half. Um, Can you explain that a little bit more in detail? And the only reason I asked you to explain it <laughs> for Sloan, but no, because when the draw came out and obviously Rafa's weird rough draw or whatever everybody's like see this is what happened like which i don't yeah i know and that's why i just for people who aren't familiar with kind of why you're saying that two and three doesn't matter now in the concrete not abstract but the concrete explain it so basically the first thing that happens in the draw is number one gets on the top line number two gets on the bottom line of like number one line number one line number 128 so they're going to play each other in the final at the earliest and then three and four get placed and then from there on, each quarter is identical, right? So once, once Nadal is in here and has to play Federer at number two, it wouldn't matter basically for the draw if you switch where Federer and Nadal were in the draw. They're in each, each in equally tough roads before they get placed. So basically each of them have to play a five through eight player in the quarterfinals. Each of them have to play a 13 through 16 player in the fourth round and a 25 through 32 player in the third round, essentially. So, like, they're, you know, they're even once you get to that point. So it would have mattered more had Nadal been there. But also, I think the whole kerfuffle over it this year was strange to me because we we have known the women has this formula. It's been very transparent, very consistent, very open. All the players know about it. And the way it was being talked about is, like, a decision. It kept being called a decision to, to do it. And they, it was, like, disrespectful to Rafa. It was like, no, it's not disrespect. It is math. Roger has numbers. He's only, I don't know, like maybe like 1,300 ranking points behind Nadal in the rankings, roughly in the ATP rankings. It's not insignificant, but not huge either. And and the seeding formula takes into account his 2017 Wimbledon title and his run to the quarters last year and his Halla wins and his Halla final, I'm guessing. And he's played well on grass, and he's been the better grass court player and the better Wimbledon player in this decade, for sure, than Rafael Nadal. And it's a whole, we got into seedings a lot last year with Serena, come back from maternity and debates over that. And there's sort of a debate that people have whether seeds should be 
protective things that you've earned through your past play, which keep you away from danger in the draw, or if they should be predictions of your future, how well you're going to do. I'm more in the prediction camp. I think that seeds are meant to keep the best players apart until later rounds of the draw, and that's so you're anticipating who's going to go the deepest. And I think every assessment I could possibly make would say that Roger Federer is more likely to make the Wimbledon final than, than Rafael Nadal before you see any sort of draw because he's made the final a lot recently. Nadal hasn't made a final since 2011. I think since that stretch, Federer has made 13 grass finals at, here in Halle, maybe one in Stuttgart, and Nadal has only made one uh, grass final anywhere in that like eight or nine, eight ish year stretch, and that was in Stuttgart in 2015, I think. They're mowing the grass now um, and just chopping up grass. I don't have anything more to say about that. Um, yeah, so this debate about the seedings, I think it's fine. We, can get, we had a large, I don't need to, I don't want to do the whole discussion we did the first time about the seedings and stuff, but uh, you know, if, if ATP decides that it wants to put pressure on Wimbledon to get rid of the seeding formula, which the WTA does not have the seeding formula. WTA has made it clear to Wimbledon that they don't want the seeding formula. They want their rankings respected. Um, that That's fine. I, Wimbledon, I will say, on the women's side, makes occasional tweaks, which are much more subjective, which basically it turns into just bumping Serena and or Venus intermittently when they haven't played much or coming back from something, you know, the Wimbledon threat. And that, that's a lot dodgier and more backroomish. I think the transparency and the consistency of the math and the formula, which everyone knows and fans on Twitter can have their spreadsheets and figure out who the seeds are going to be, you know, once those turn, once Hala ends or whatever the points that count are. Anyway, um, I, have, I have no problem with it. I do think it's worked out well. I think players have been bumped by the formula in the past, like Gilles Muller, like Djokovic last year who won the title, have done big things and justified the love from the formula. And I, I think it, it's worked, and I don't think it's really going to matter because I don't think, I don't know. Do I think Nadal is even going to go deep this tournament? He could. I'd like to see Nadal Federer semifinal to hash it out on the court, <laughs> on the which court. would be center court worthy, unlike, say, Evan Munar. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Uh, yeah, my only thoughts on the seating kerfluffle or whatever is just that um, there's the kind of suggestion or the, 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 the point that, oh, maybe the seating formula is now antiquated, right? That it, that it w- that was not that different anymore. You mean, right. That, that, that used to, you used to need not just grass, but also the players that, you know, you used to need Wimbledon used to need the seating formula, probably a little bit more because there was more surface specialization. You had more, you know, players who, who maybe had high rankings, but couldn't play on grass or players who were great on grass that just like didn't do anything on the clay and hard court. Like Svetlana Parankova. Obviously that's exactly the player that I'm, thinking of as I mentioned this but uh, but yeah you know and so therefore we needed a formula to kind of protect the integrity of our competition to protect the integrity of the the the, the tournament and to to create a, a good tournament for protective predictive whatever reasons in, in that you want for seedings obviously now flash forward to 2019 uh, although this has been happening now for pretty much like the last probably like five to ten years is that there isn't as much surface specialization anymore right I mean nowadays there's homogenization of the court speed uh, the grass is a lot slower than it used to be anyways. Um, so, you know, and then obviously with the players, if you're a top player, you know how to play on every single surface. There is no longer the, uh, oh, it's clay swing. This guy's going to zoom up and then he's just not going to do anything anymore. They don't do that anymore. So that's, you know, that's an issue there. But um, so now it does the seeding formula is it necessary? Because do you really need to be reseeding people? And I guess, like, I would just say that, like, and I think that that's, like, a, a fair argument. Like, I understand it anyway. But I do also think that, you know, A, you can't just be changed. I don't know if I'm comfortable with, like, the club changing when they choose to implement the, the formula and when they don't. 
you know, based on their sense of like, oh, competition. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's like, I don't think that they should be like, oh, we're no longer going to use a formula for the next 10 years because everything's equal. Oh, no. Now the surfaces are in chaos and now we're going to use it again. So like, whatever, use it or don't use it, but like choose and then that's it. And right now they've chosen to use it. That's fine. Um, But then also, I think that, you know, while the top players are all all surface specialists who can kind of succeed on all 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 the surfaces, um, I do think, obviously, when you look at the results recently, even on grass, that it's not that way. That, you know, you have Feliciano Lopez. You still have, like, the Nicholas Mahoos. You still have the players who do significantly play better on grass. And to the extent that those players can be rewarded or should be, you know, you want to, as a grass court tournament, want to protect them so that people see them later in the draw, yeah, there, there, there's an argument to be said that that formula still is relevant, I guess. Maybe not as relevant as it used to be. But to say that it's like completely antiquated, I think is probably not true. All fair, all fair. So speaking of things that are um, less about, you know, science and discussion and emotion than that, or more about emotion than that, uh, Nadal in the second round, uh, if Nadal beats Sugita and Jordan Thompson loses the first round match, it will be a Nadal-Curios match. And I will tell people listening, if we've already gotten several requests in advance of this match, like, can we use audio from NCR? So, you know, if you want to come ask for permission to use the audio from NCR, you're welcome. Obviously, uh, we didn't talk in detail about what Nick said about Rafa or Novak on, 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 on NCR. Anyway, we talked about it certainly, <laughs> certainly offline. Uh, <laughs> but I'm curious, like, that would obviously be a big talking point in that matchup, that those comments went very widespread and got a lot of attention all over the place. Um, and again, there's a lot more other stuff in the interview that I think is more interesting than that, but... I'm curious what you would make of that match if it happens. If Nadal, Kyrgios, which would be the talked about match of the first week if it does happen. Well, I think that I, I, I haven't met anybody who doesn't want that match to oh, happen. God, yeah. So so there is that. Um, we, we were talking to Reem Abalil, our good friend, who was courtside or at least over uh, at Orangi uh, or last week when they were practicing side by side on side by side courts. And apparently Rafa was doing his thing. And Nick was very much doing his things times 10. He was being very extra in how he was doing his things in terms of just being completely casual, loud, cackling, like just kind of lollygagging and things like that, like right next to Rafa, which I mean, delicious. I love it. I love it. I mean, like, honestly, like I am like, it's like a reality show contestant, but like para reality, you know what I'm saying? I'm not here for them to make friends. Right? <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. I'm not here for them to make friends. That's not why I am here. I'm here for them to battle each other for 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 cash and prizes. I mean, you know, honestly, like I think that that is the, the sort of conflict in the sport that Curios has been adamant in bringing back, especially in our interview and other places. I think it's all positive. You need storylines. You need beef in this sport. You need sizzle because the beef sizzles. If it's on a fajita platter or whatever the Wimbledon equivalent of that would be, I wouldn't trust Wimbledon to make a fajita. But anyway. Um, you know, I I really think it's really positive, and I hope he gets to play Djokovic at U.S. Open. Like, honestly, yeah. like, just, like, let's settle the scores. Let's settle it on the court. Let's have our moments. Let's see what happens. And both of them will be super motivated, and it'll be great. And there's so, in this era of good feelings, there is relatively few popcorn matches left in the sport right now. And, and that's a shame for the sport. I really do think it is. I mean, I said that about Tsitsipas uh, Medvedev, which is a fourth-round match, and um, they had their whole thing of shutting each other's various fucks up. But I... You know, yeah, I, I want I want to see it happen. I want to see people have matches to care about. And, and, you know, Nick's lack of collegiality in that sense, people chafe at it. I understand that completely. But I think it's so useful for telling the story of the sport when there's a story to tell. 
because it was just like they get along and they're friends like that only works if the friendship is amazing as a story like a broad city level kind of friendship like otherwise like you need some sort of conflict or some sort of dynamic on a show i think that what yeah i mean obviously you and i uh i've known each other for a while Mm -hmm. we are both very much wta fans oh yeah we know many fans of the wta and this stuff happens all the time. I mean, we, not all the time, but you know which players where there's a little bit of edge, where, which combinations of players, like, oh, you know, things like that. And then you get a little bit more excited when they play their matches. Like, and when they are a little bit more public about it, like, obviously, we were at Wimbledon, where there was the famous sniping back and forth between between Maria and Serena uh, oh, yeah, that sure, one year, sure, right? Sure. I mean, their whole rivalry isn't just about the tennis. It's mostly not about the tennis because the tennis is not. It can't not. be about the tennis. What, but, but the off-court <laughs> stuff, well, yeah. But, I mean, the thing about that is what makes that, and we don't have to rehash this, is sort of a sidebar, but, like, what makes that a rivalry, and I think very much a rivalry, is that's the match they most care most about. Serena would hate to lose to Maria more than anyone else in the world in terms of opponents she could lose to. I fully believe that. And that's what makes the match intense. And that and she, that she has the skill to be able to re- then thus refuse to lose and just win constantly uh, is a testament to how great she is and a testament to how much she cares about that matchup. Uh, by the way, did you see, I think I sent it to you, this Maria Sharapova Architectural Digest home tour? I have not seen it. I've seen it. I mean, I've, I'm aware of it, but I have not read the article. Ten-minute Instagram TV thing, which I don't totally understand as oh. a medium, but I'm, maybe hopefully it's somewhere else too. Um, it is, uh, it's, uh, her house is interesting. There's a surprise in the basement which I would not have expected. Speaking of weird things, though, just jumping off of that, uh, this Financial Times article uh, where the guy sat down with Roger Federer on a private plane, did you read the second-to-last paragraph of this article? I read the whole story, but what was the second-to-last paragraph? Where this... I'm sorry, but I screamed when I read it. Where this... So this writer... It's a very lovely piece. It's... it's, There's some really good lines. Yeah, great. But he stands up to take a photo with Roger... And he puts his hand on Roger's back. And Roger's back feels like no back he's ever felt oh, before. Okay. It was a lot. And I find it really weird that no one is calling that paragraph out because it was stunning. It was like, I like I literally like like jumped up and screamed. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I can't. But I was like waiting. I was like, really? Is nobody going to call out? I mean, it's a great article. It I'm not really saying good. it's not good. I'm just saying, but did it, 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 was, it was something. It was good, and there was the line that I liked most about in it was this line that was something like Roger Federer goes along his life with the ease of someone who's like I'm going to paraphrase here. I'm not going to get the writing as good as this guy did it, but like goes along his life with the ease of someone who's never had anyone be mean to them in their lives, like someone who like always gets positive reactions to people. Like he's that really react, and that and like and that's true. Roger Federer is like is very gets great treatment from people and gives it back, and he's this person that's very sort of like even you know nice nice world that way which is again different and yeah that line i did notice that line that was that was detailed it was anatomically strange it was anatomically strange which honestly roger's back sounds anatomically strange based off the way that this like he it was he was compared i just it just i had so many questions like how many backs have you touched we'll screenshot it from the ncr account this yeah is, well so i just i fell out of my chair i just I had a very, very strong reaction to that. It pulled me right out of it. So Nadal carries us the match, and then winner that could play Shapovalov or Songa. Um, I mean, the, to finish on Nadal Kyrgios, I don't think we totally finished. Like, I, I, a lot of people are saying, like, Nick's going to win that. Nick's going to win that. Like, Nick, because Nick, I, like, I don't know. I think Rafa would be motivated just as much. And Nick could, like, be, Nick could be, like, the thing with Nick was, was interesting with Nick in 2019 is that he's not doing his normal problematic thing where he, tanks and he's like too low energy he's been way too amped in the last like month or so 
in a Queens club and it, certainly in Rome, he's been like running too high. And that's like the thing that makes me nervous for that match is like if he blows up and Wimbledon maybe will keep him a little bit on better behavior. I don't know in some way, but like, yeah, it's interesting to see what he can. My uh, my sense of it is a little bit different. Which well, not different, but yeah, different. Which is that like I yeah like Nick when you having watched so many of his matches that he does run this tendency of like, you know, it's the defense mechanism wanting it too much, and then obviously the whole thing flips to where it does turn into like I don't want it anymore. Because, you know, he, as he talks about it on the on the podcast, the, the defense mechanism of, like, it hurts too much to want something and not yeah. get it. And so in that situation, like, yeah, just mentally, that, that's really the question is whether or not he goes into that being like, I want it so badly. And can he manage that to play, like, a highly competitive, high-octane match like he did in Acapulco? Or does it does it go too high? And and it kind of, he, he kind of, you know, like Icarus, just flies too close to the sun. Icarus Curious. Yes, Icarus Curious, exactly. Um, I think whoever wins that match, looking at the draw, I think it's actually a safe, fairly safe bet to make semis. Um, I think team is possibly in trouble here with this first match against Query, who's been a very Wimbledon player the last few years, made quarters when he beat Djokovic, and then made semis when he beat Murray. Just I made final the, Eastbourne, right? Yeah, or court East, semi? Final Eastbourne. Final, he lost yeah. to Fritz in the final. And so his grass results have been really good, and that's a tough match for team, who I can't remember doing much on grass this year. I think he played. I don't remember. Um... Yeah, so the team on, on Wimbledon is very unproven, and and uh, Fanini is not. I mean, softish team eighth here, I think, pretty soft. And yeah, so I think Nadal can get through this if Nadal gets through that match. Chilich has not been playing well at all this year, uh, and then yeah, Songa Kyrgios. I think whoever wins Songa Kyrgios, sorry, whoever wins Kyrgios Nadal should make semis. Which is <laughs> no, a wild thing to say come about on, Nick yeah, Nadal's come on, that's a lot but, to say about Nick. But I'm saying it. I said it. I said what I said. I said what I said. All due respect. I'm super, super interested in that match. I have no idea who's going to win that match, but I would not go so as to, so far as to say that whoever wins that match, unless that person is Rafa Nadal, makes a semifinal. <laughs> <laughs> That's my bet. Fair. Uh, Roger Federer is the number two seed at the bottom of the draw. Uh, he opens against Lloyd Harris. Wait, he's seeded number two? Uh, <laughs> Federer is number two, opens against Lloyd Harris of South Africa. Uh, one of people who's like I've seen his name for a while, never seen before, and I still would not be a hundred percent confident picking him out of a lineup. Can I just a, a quick aside about South Africa and, sure. and Kevin Anderson? So I was just I was watching uh, the other night a rerun of um, oh my gosh, what's the name of the show now? It has Hannibal Buress, and it's like this fake talk show. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm blanking on the name of the show now. But anyways, it's a fake talk show, um, and it's over the top and absurd. It's absurdist comedy. And Ryan Quantin, who had played, uh, he was on True Blood a few years ago, and he's okay. Australian. He was on it. And um, and the host, just out of the blue, out of nowhere, just looks at him and goes, what's the difference between, between being, uh, about, uh, sorry. He goes, what's the difference between South Africa and Australia? And I don't know why, but like, it, and just Ryan Quantin's look at him, just like, wait, what? And like, didn't know how to answer it. It was like one Is of the funniest. Ryan from one of those places? He's from Australia. Okay. And it just was one of the funniest comedic moments. And Is I there a guess line? that was it. No. Oh, great. It's absurdist comedy. It's just, but in just, because we were talking about, it, we're like, how do you even begin to answer that? Like, the question is so absurdly premised that you actually don't know how to answer it that's at all, true. even though it is such an obvious answer. But how yeah, would you even you start, start it's true. is the point. So anyways, hey, sorry. Um, I'll start with time zones. Uh, Federer is a pretty opening, good opening couple draws. Uh, Harris and then winner of Jay Clark and Noah Rubin, uh, behind the racket fame. Uh, and then uh, Lucas Puy, Gasquet, Bublik. Bublik, Federer would be fun if that happens. 
in the uh, third round. Uh, and then possibly get the draw got reshuffled. Now we could get Berrettini fourth round. Berrettini's had a very good gla uh, grass court season. Uh, I believe he won Stuttgart. Uh, and then Lorenzo Sinego won Antalya yesterday, I was told. And so he, <laughs> I was told this. <laughs> I haven't seen it for myself. I can't verify, but I was told that Lorenzo Sinego won Antalya. Sources and so, say. And so sources say, unconfirmed reports, that <laughs> Lorenzo Sinego has won the Antalya ATP tournament coming into our studio. We've not been able to ascertain the truth of these reports. Uh, but that means two Italian men winning grass court tournaments, which is just sort of a wild evolution in this You have to do a follow-up on your Italian story. No. Um, so Berrettini could be a tough fourth round. And then uh, also in this quarter, John Isner is playing his first tournament back in a while. After since the Miami final, he's playing his first tournament. Uh, opens against Casper Ruud, probably not a bad opener on grass. And then could get Shroof, who's been playing well, or Burdich. Uh, all in all, I think Federer, his toughest test in this quarter, I think is Berrettini. But I like his odds of making it to the semis against the winner of Nadal Kyrgios. I said what I said. Still, <laughs> yeah, can't see Roger not making that semi. That's for sure. So that's my analysis there. And that will be the tournament. Yeah, I think I, I like Roger's chances of winning this. I think Roger is playing well enough to win here it's it's you know happy place for him he'll have the crowd as per always he won't he was not in the seven hour player council meeting so he will not be depleted by that uh yeah i think that rogers uh rogers are my pick for this for this tournament and we'll see we'll see how it goes and with that um thank you for listening to this episode of no challenges remaining if you want to follow along you're not listening follow us on twitter ncr underscore tennis send us emails no challenges remaining at gmail.com uh other th thoughts before we we go I'm hoping that the weather stays exactly kind of like it was like today uh, and it, it's supposed to get even cooler because yesterday on Saturday it was just brutal and hot. England does not handle heat well. No, it, it does not. And, and so I'm just hoping that we get a nice temperate, uh, chilled out tournament. I'm hoping that the group of death on the women's side uh, ends up being full of fireworks. I, I hope that, that we get some some good matches and just, you know, have a good you know, a nice tournament, not too much drama. I don't need any of the too much drama, but I would like to just, you know, make it about the tennis and, and just play. And, um, yeah, no, looking forward to it. Here's what I would like. I would like for the group of death to play out all the big names to make the third round and then to have uh, Barty Muguruza, Serena Gerges, and Kerber Sharapova be the first ever all-female center court ticket. Oh, damn. That is a take, and I love it. I said it. I said it. You're let, saying a lot of things. Let Nadal go out on court one and do their thing. I mean, but what if... Actually, actually, Nadal could be out by that point if he loses to But what if, what if, Ben, Jean Munar is still in the tournament? Oh. Oh. He will clearly have to demand a center court spot. You're right. Let him chair umpire for all I care. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Um, uh, other women with thoughts before we let people go? No, no. you just absolutely stunned and shook me with your suggestion for that ticket. Um, I'm really about it. As am I. Bye, guys. Bye. There's a good time.